There's been a number of times I've tried to break up with music, you know, like this is, this is taking way too much from me. I don't want to keep giving this. But when you get to that point, I think if you remember, it's just like a, just like a really close relationship, like a marriage yeah, or something. Right. You remember where it started and yeah. the core of, of why it is. When I asked you like what your favorite snack was, you were like cashews, but then you said apples. You don't look like an Oreo type of guy. That, that oh, I'm that. an Oreo guy. I'm, oh, are I'm you? you just... a, yeah, well, I don't know if that'd be my first go-to, but no, I definitely uh, can go hard on some Oreos without question. Okay. Well, how many apples do you eat per day? Um, Probably just like one. One apple a day? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, nothing crazy. I, I'm technically allergic to them. Really? Well, what does that mean? Like, uh, I, you have like your face gets. I don't looks know. Like an I mean, apple? I, it's. I mean, you know, I eat. I eat them all the time. But years ago, I did the allergy testing thing where they, you know, like make the little road map on you and like yeah, poke yeah, yeah, you yeah. like a couple hundred times. Yeah. And they told me that yeah, I was like I was allergic to apples and dust, which I, I gather just. Yeah. informs that you're a human being because i think mm -hmm. most humans don't do great with dust i never ask about the snack it's funny like this is called snack time because i thought it would be interesting to ask p artists and ask songwriters like what is the snack that you enjoy and there would be a random thing that nobody has asked before yeah. or, like a random thing i had to think about it i really yeah. had to think about it yeah but it's like i go episode after episode where i'm like we're just eating or something and i'm like i never talk about it <laughs> and AJ, AJ and I joke about like, are we going to bring it up this time? Like, <laughs> It's so. our branding. Come on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Yeah. Well, to be fair. So check I, that box. Yeah. So apples. <laughs> but then again, like to, to also circle back to the health thing, usually with peanut butter. Oh, uh, bro. No, you're good. You're good. I, mean, I didn't think about that. No, it's, it's cool. It's cool. But like, again, I just, okay. you know, want to say I, I, I like to have my healthy with mm -hmm. a generous amount of unhealthy. And then if you're feeling generous... <laughs> You can add chocolate chips to that equation, which is kind of like the toddler version of okay, apples. Okay. Um, with I, the peanut butter or without the peanut butter? With definitely with the peanut butter. All together. All together. Okay. Yeah. I mean, again, not that's not an everyday. It's kind of like yeah, 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 you know, yeah. like the pelvic yeah. thrust at like a, a <laughs> wedding. Like you can't use it too much. It's like a one time. If you use it too much, people think you're the weirdo. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Exactly. But uh, yeah, it's a lot of sugar. Okay. Yeah. So the second thing I need to ask you about is how do you type the U? With the double, the double dot, the umlauts. Yes, I don't even know what they call it. It's the double dots. Um, like, umlauts. Yeah, umlauts. yeah. Man. How do you do that? Um, Teach me. I think on Apple, it's like Command Two. Okay. I think. Okay. For like iOS or anything like that, you just hold it down. Yes. Um, okay. But back when the whole umlaut thing started, I don't think that that was the case. It was more just a joke. Um, <laughs> we had zero intentions of it being a thing. Um, but it helped because like if you go to a you know, having a weird last name like Stukenberg. Right. Well, that, I was saying oh. it's a cool last name. Well, it, it it's it's it, I appreciate. Hold that. Hold on a second. Mm -hmm. Did you add the the umlauts? Am I saying that right? Yeah, you're saying it right. Umlauts. Yeah. I'm questioning myself again. But the, did you add that to your name as like a design thing? Well, yeah, we we did again as a joke. So what happened is we had gone to. I was just lost all kinds of respect for you. Yeah, no, that's I thought fine. it was legit. Now I now I don't need to type it in. You yeah, know? you don't have to type it in. No, it's it's well. The thing that's funny is I think that. Just through autocorrect, it is now just because, you know, when you're filling out different documentation oh, for driver's yeah. license and stuff, because it's so commonly a thing, I think that accidentally it's ended up on like tax paperwork and stuff. So for uh, all I know, by this point, it might be name. legit. Yeah, I don't know. Um, but no, it, again, started as a joke. Um, That's just hilarious. had gone to 
play a couple of radio stations super early on. I just they, thought it was like exotic. Like he well, just has an exotic it, last it name. It serves a purpose though. This okay. is the thing. Okay. Like again, it was supposed to be funny, but okay. it also when people the way that technically the name is pronounced, if that's not there, is Stuckenberg. Um, oh. which is not correct, but so the other thing too is, and I don't know how true this is, but the family, whenever my family moved from Germany slash Czech Republic and all that, mm. a lot of that stuff they removed, you know, from their name to not look uh, German. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and so the weird part about it is it was supposed to be a joke, but also helped inform radio personalities how to pronounce it because yeah. if it's not there, technically it changes the vowel, but yeah. Anyway, I... Surprised it's still a thing yeah, after well, all this long. I'm always jealous of cool last names because Walker is kind of like really wah, Texas Ranger. Wah. Well, okay. really, there's one. There's one guy. Chuck Norris one is guy. the one though. Okay, yeah, he's pretty cool. Yeah, he's pretty cool, he's man. Cool. I no, wish I could have him on the podcast. Yeah, but. I appreciate that. But you're probably gonna get made yeah, fun okay. of as much as a kid either. Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's talk about your your upbringing because oh. like. Like, how, how depressed are you? No, it's like... Uh, <laughs> if you're a songwriter, you must have had a terrible childhood. <laughs> uh, we could circle back to that because a lot of good songs come out of heartbreak, this right? true. But yeah. early on, did it start as you as a musician or did you were like, I just want to be a songwriter or like, I want to be on stage? How, I saw you know that picture on Instagram, your dad had the guitar. Yeah, man. Yeah. So... To, how did it how did it all start just I'll, i think always always love music in some capacity um i think my first time singing in church i was probably like five somewhere in there so i think that was kind of a part mm-hmm. um i think the relationship changed over time and initially it was just sort of this for lack of a better definition parlor trick where you can Hey. You can sing, and you're a little kid. Oh you yeah, know? you um, don't know if kids can really sing. Yeah, later, yeah, and right? then, but then over time, you you <laughs> you like any kid, you look for that affirmation. I mean, I think it's sort of the thing that like curses anyone who creates the first time. You know, uh, you draw a picture, and somebody says, "Wow, that's awesome." Next thing mm-hmm. you know, ten years later, you're going to art school, still chasing that totally that, that affirmation. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. yeah <laughs> so yeah. there's a part of that, but I think I think a big part of it for me. Um, one one was just that I think again just just generally loved music didn't really know what to make of that but what type um, of music did your parents listen to like young we were in my parents were in like seminary and oh, doing okay. all the missions work stuff and mm-hmm. so at that point ACDC yeah exactly yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, hyper like hyper I guess sheltered musically speaking sure. so it was like hymns bluegrass uh, some classical and then like the fringes of christian music at that time and so it's funny because a lot of people remember their first kiss or their their first salvation experience or or whatever with such minute second the location the smell it's visceral i try to forget my first kiss experience (laughs) (laughs) most people it's pretty awkward (laughs) same here um but no i remember like where i was the first time i heard let it be you know i remember the the first time i heard hey jude i remember the step i was sitting on and Mm. Like the Beatles for me, I think were uh, this really interesting reintroduction to music. I remember I had a a buddy. This is in Kentucky that, mm-hmm. and this this dates me, but made me a mixed cassette tape of some of his favorite Beatles songs and like smuggled it to me because again, this was like oh, yeah. forbidden fruit, which of course always tastes the best. And yeah, I remember these just, apples are poisoned, by the way. Are they okay? Yeah, I, so. We'll we'll put okay. that to the test in okay. a second here. But yeah, the the Beatles were were a, a definitely a big like 
that that changed my relationship with music. I think it added. Were you playing guitar at that? Yeah, moment? I had started like junior high, high school. Yeah, my well, I think early on, my dad had taught me a couple guitar chords, and then uh, I had really had no interest in playing guitar. How serious was he about? It? Was it like a hobby for him? Just like yeah, yeah, it was it was a hobby for him, but also just working in and around you know church. And, yeah. and mission stuff. I think it was a thing where it was also a, a useful skill to have for mm -hmm. a lot of that. So, mm -hmm. so he would, you know, I, I think for a lot of musicians, their introduction to music starts in in church, yeah, you, yeah, you yeah. know, in a lot of different ways. And so, but yeah, and he had tried to get me to to learn guitar, but I just really wasn't interested. I actually ended up uh, taking voice lessons. And then my voice teacher told me that I needed to know piano if I wanted to understand music. I so was I, wondering about the piano dynamic because you know how to play piano, so it's like. Did that 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 started first? That's probably my first. I mean, it's weird because really? I, was, I was introduced to okay, you know, a, a guitar, but I just didn't have interest in it. Um, and so actually, then I got really into piano, and it wasn't till years later that I actually circled back to guitar. You know, to to because then it became interesting in a different light. Mm -hmm. You know, it was. Mm -hmm. I never loved guitar. It was more just a means of getting to a song. You know, I, mm -hmm. I was never that guy that just. To this day, it cracks me up that like a big part of my living comes from playing guitar because I, I know so many friends who just love playing guitar, like just love it. It's their thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I think for me, it was just, it's always just been a way of getting to a song, getting mm. an idea, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, same thing with any instrument. It's just you a know? tool to build. Well, the... yeah, tool, tool almost takes the charm out of it. Like I, yeah, I yeah, love yeah. guitars, yeah, yeah, yeah. but like playing a guitar, I guess, is just to me more attached to the purpose it serves in the context of mm -hmm. something that moves you, I guess. Yeah, I, I don't yeah. know. That's headier than it needs to be. I think for me, the biggest kind of shift uh, was not having any friends. <laughs> you just by yourself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, well, we moved a lot. I went to like, I don't know, 13, 14 schools, something like that. And so I didn't really have friends. Mm -hmm. um, but my guitar, I think, <clears throat> excuse me, became my, my friend. And Did you name, I noticed, uh, Captain Cliff. Oh, Captain Cliff. But did yeah. you have a name for your first guitar where you're like, this is... You know, no, man, I didn't. No, that was, that one was, na that was named after my grandpa. His name okay. was Clifford. Okay. Um, but no, early on, no, I don't yeah, think okay. I, again, I don't, I, I didn't really have the same attachment to yeah, instruments. Yeah, yeah. I at that point, it was still the curiosity component. You, di yeah. you didn't know this was going to be what you were doing with your whole life. Oh, you you, yeah, you yeah, sensed yeah, it yeah. might be because yeah. you kind of didn't know, you didn't have that same relationship with anything else. Yeah. Um, but I think the, the naming of instruments. So early on, you were probably like, man, I want to write songs. Like, I want to make something like the Beatles. Like, I want to make a song like that. Or like, Well, this is weird, but like the first memory I have of like creating music, and this is embarrassing to admit, but I, I got beat up pretty bad. Um, and I remember coming back from getting beat up. I was going down a, a hallway walking home. Like at school? <clears throat> was yeah, it was, well, it was worse. It was, sem it was seminary. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so it was, it was some of the other little church kids that beat me up. Yeah. Um, which, Rough. to be fair, I, I'm pretty sure later on, I, I definitely contributed to that as well. But in this particular instance, I remember like hearing the sound. I was young, probably like seven, hearing the sound of myself crying, like bouncing off the hallways and then i remember like you know it's the token little kid thing you're like whimpering and then he hit me in the face and you realize like this is like a thing and like that was my you're like first... that sounds cool well not only that or, but like, like interesting almost like the musical equivalent of wall paintings for cavemen like yeah. it wasn't so much a song as it much as much as it was a a tale of woe yeah, explaining, yeah, yeah. you know explaining <laughs> to to the world or in this case the walls of the hallway you know the injustice yeah. of, of being beat up by these other kids Man, but um yeah oh no but then later on though i think it was kind of like uh more of a medication just because i think no friends 
moving a lot, generally having a demeanor that wasn't very stable. I think that mm-hmm. it became my therapy, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and I think this is just a weird thing about musicians in general that a lot of people don't, we were kind of talking a little bit yeah. about this earlier, that people don't many times recognize is that people assume that you like attention, you like doing this charismatic act. I think for a lot of us, at least that have kind of been lifers in it, that's really not how it started at all. Mm-hmm. It was very awkward and very broken, and it's just a yeah. weird side effect right. <laughs> that it happens yeah. to be a thing later on right. that becomes uh, more of a seemingly outgoing characteristic. But I think for, for a lot of us, it starts very personal. And I think that the other thing that's really good about that is that as a musician, like yourself, we can wear a lot of hats, mm-hmm. and it can get really confusing. You can get really convoluted and forget Definitely. That core. And oh, yeah. it's weird that if your core is attached to sort of that personal relationship, not the business, not the production, not the marketability, not the success, but just my relationship with music. I think if you have that at its epicenter, it, it really helps to center you. Because I feel like there's been a number of times um, throughout working in music where I've just not known why why am i doing this like what, no, what am uh, i doing why, you get why lost. am i yeah you get lost and it's just Absolutely. It's, it's a discouraging field too to be in um and i think that there's been a number of times i've tried to break up with music you know like this is this is taking way too much for me i don't want to keep giving this but when you get to that point i think if you remember it's just like a just like a really close relationship like a marriage yeah, or something right you remember where it started and yeah the core of, of why it is. I go back to this uh, picture often in my head of, uh, I've been a bass player for like all my life pretty much. And then I bought my bass that is my main bass, like I guess when I was in high school and I've had it ever since and never bought another one. I probably do need to buy another one. But at some uh, at some point, maybe like a year ago, I just was like, I forgot that I loved the bass. Because when you start <laughs> recording so much, you're just like, you don't really play enough, you know, right. I mean? like you don't play as much as you used to. And so I started following guys on YouTube again that were like, Hey, here's this Motown bass stuff. And so I was like learning all this stuff and I was like rekindling my yeah. affection for yeah. the bass. And one night I just, I guess I was playing in bed, you know, without a shirt on and I just fell asleep. So like the bass was like <laughs> this and my wife just takes a picture of it, you know, like this, this is Josh's real love. You know Rekind- what I mean? You know? Rekindled affection. Yeah. But it's like so true, man. It's like, just remembering just how it started, you know, for you and like, yeah, just don't, not forgetting that the love part of it, the love. And I think the curiosity of it too. It I, I, I really, you know, we, we've both been doing this for a long time. I think that it's, it's really easy to, to become formulaic with, with, with things, be it, be it oh, the yeah, yeah, engineering, yeah, yeah. the production, the, the writing. But I think the other thing that kind of goes hand in hand with, mm-hmm. um, again, con- continuing to compare it to a relationship if you want to rekindle a relationship, start asking questions about about someone that you think you know everything about because you probably don't. Right. Similarly with music, there's always new ground. There's yeah. always new questions. There's always new experiments. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things I love about it is the curiosity thing. And if, if you allow it to, yeah. to continue to... I used to even just with mixing, used to like... Every, so many people are like, oh, you got to mix fast and you got to like be efficient if you want to make it a business. And like you got to have templates and all this kind of stuff. And I got to the point where I was like... I had my template. I had like the common way that I would treat a drum set or a kick drum or a snare drum. But it's like, you know, I just, at some point, I kept the organizational strategy that I have, like all this busing and everything. I keep right. that the same. 
But it's like, I'm just, I'm not doing the template thing anymore because it's like, I need to hear what this kick drum is doing. Yeah. I need to hear it by itself in regards to compared to all the other kick drums. Like, this is a different one. Yeah. Hopefully. And so it's like... That's foreign to the world of mixing, though. Oh. You know this. So oh, many dude, people, they yeah. literally trigger out the kit before they've even <laughs> oh, hit man. space bar. Oh, yeah. That's just a thing. I mean, you know, and good and bad of both, you know, like, yeah. if you can do that and people are happy with it, it's cool, like, whatever. But yeah, it's just that it 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 does something for me where it, like, takes away the love a little oh, bit. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's like, that's what I'm always chasing, too, is like... Not to lose the... I mean, it's crazy to me that, like... And I don't know if it's crazy to you that, like, we make our livings, like, doing something that's creative. You know, I spent five years in a cubicle doing Excel spreadsheets, wondering, like, what my life was about. I can get to the point where, like, from that point looking on, being like, how could I make this a full-time thing? And, like, my yeah. life... I would never be a... I would never be sad again <laughs> if right. I had this type of job. Right, right. <laughs> and then you get into the job, and it's like, oh... I'm a sinful person. That's not really what was making me <laughs> sad in my life. Yeah. Know? Yeah. Uh, but this, yeah, just, and then trying to just remember and rekindle that passion and that love, yeah. you know? So, yeah. But that's a really good point, too, Josh. Yeah. I think the other good thing to know about the plight of a musician is I feel like most of us have had a myriad of various jobs throughout the years. Totally, and yeah, when you do yeah. get to a point where you're able to sustain, you know, existing with music, it is a job, and there are definitely days where it's not as pleasant, but I always remind myself, dude, you can complain all you want, but you are making music to feed your family. Like, yeah. be grateful for yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> and that's don't be a cool. whiny little baby about whatever it is that's bothering you. Like, yes. It's a big deal. I read on your site that you were nominated for a Grammy as a songwriter. <laughs> yeah. Can you give a little bit of backstory or like yeah. how that all ha- happened? Or I mean, yeah, for sure. It's, uh, I mean, it's kind of meaningless but uh <laughs> on paper it's cool i guess uh yeah i my first uh i guess when i was 17 i got my first uh musical job i guess technically when i signed to the contract i was 18 uh but i as a staff writer cool a uh, staff songwriter in, in nashville so moved there and were you was, responsible for like writing a certain amount of songs first like six y- songs in a certain time period that yeah kind of thing? yeah we had uh we had to turn in i mean it was one song independently a week that we had to turn wow. in, but then also you, typically there was a couple co-writes, you yeah. know, every few days. Um, and so, which wasn't as aggressive as some of the friends I have that are writers now. It, it blows my mind. They'll, you know, they'll pump out, Dude. you know, yeah. dozens of songs a month. Oh, yeah. And um, did you enjoy that time? Of um, parts of it, yes. Parts of it, no. Um, I think it was really formative, really educational. I, I learned a lot. As a, you know, 18-year-old kid kind of jumping into, it was funny, I got uh, offered a, a music scholarship for audio production, um, and then, uh, which, unbeknownst to me, my, my dad had sent my same stuff that I'd used to apply for the scholarship to this publishing company, and anyway, whatever, ended up having a choice of kind of these two yeah, paths, cool. one learning about this field, the other just kind of just jumping in, um, and so I think the jumping in was hugely educational in a lot of different ways just learning about the music industry learning about uh the way networking works Mm -hmm. which i think was very foreign to me i think there are other parts of it too that were really depressing because well this could be a whole nother conversation in of itself but i learned a lot about uh for i guess the side of christian music i learned about what a money game it was Mm -hmm. (laughs) um and i i met a lot of 
heroes that were no longer my heroes after uh, I met them. <laughs> yeah, no, I've heard, um, I heard. Let's start naming names. No, no, no yeah, and <laughs> um, and I think that for me that I've was heard that before. Yeah, that was that was really depressing to learn about this thing that I I thought was really pure, and that's again one side of it. Sure, um, that I thought was this pure kind of generous giving thing. Um, you know, again having parents that were in missions and stuff like that, and then yeah, seeing yeah, yeah. seeing the way the the world of that music worked, I think was really heartbreaking for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but then also, I think when you have such wonder and obsession with music, when you just generally see what a kind of machine it, it, it is, again, it's now, now that stuff doesn't bother me. I think yeah. that when you're in it for a long time, but when you're a super mm-hmm. idealistic <clears throat> oh, and, you know, wide eyed and ambitious, you know, young musician, I think these things are a little more emotionally impactful. Now sure. it's very normal. Um, but yeah, it was, it was, I think both really encouraging, educational, and extremely depressing, and a lot. I looked on iTunes, and you had like two or three releases like under your name. Mm-hmm. So were you kind of doing the band thing as you were writing? When I moved to Nashville, I was just doing the writing thing, um, and so yeah, the Grammy thing was just one of the one of the other projects I had. The ri- byproduct of those songs. Yeah, it was cool, just okay. one of the, one of the projects I had written on. Um, you know, at- is that song online somewhere? Yeah, yeah, it was with a uh, with a guy named Leland. Um, oh, yeah, yeah from with him. Yeah, it was his 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 first record, which which is really great record. That was kind of the thing writing for for other people. Um, I was starting to dabble in recording and production at that point too, just because a bunch of my friends had studios. You know, Nashville, yeah. everybody has a studio oh, yeah. in there. In their bathroom Everybody, or whatever, even homeless people. <laughs> yeah, literally, you're not you're not wrong about that. <laughs> the um, studio. Yeah, um, and so I think I started to 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 dip my thoughts into that world. Um, but no, I didn't really. I mean, I was writing my own music, but mm-hmm. it was all again kind of like purpose driven and like function. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, then yeah, yeah. when I left Nashville, uh, is when I got had gotten signed to a label up in the Midwest, and that's when I started kind of releasing my own stuff and, and doing cool. that kind of thing. And you told me. Uh, I believe that you had some, you were doing production music at some level too. Yeah. You, for sync opportunities and different things like that. <laughs> yeah. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, we, you know, I think to survive in, in, in music, you need to, to wear a lot of hats. So that occurred right. to me very early on, like just in, in, well, I like how like you had like a really serious songwriting thing. Then you, you went through the season of like production music and stuff. It's like all this stuff is like adding to your skill set, you know, as a musician and as Man, a I hope so. You know what I mean? So yeah, I try to I try to pick fields that are at least somewhat relevant to a general dialogue of understanding how to create. That's yeah, to say yeah, that yeah. I try not to like broaden the horizon so much that it becomes something that's irrelevant. That's kind of my one guiding rule is that whatever hats I'm wearing, I want them to still contribute to the bigger picture goal of just getting better at creating, Yeah, um, yeah, yeah if yeah. that makes sense. But yeah, for a while, I, I worked for, for Austin City Limits and, and down in, in that, mm-hmm. that part of the world. And um, when I worked for, for Austin City Limits, I also had been, I'd been doing some touring and, and playing, and I remember I was at a South by Southwest one year, and I looked out at the chaos ocean of humanity sure. and and I had so many friends that were in amazing bands and so many friends that were you know starting labels and or were part of big labels and and I knew all of them were struggling right I knew I knew that I knew the artists were struggling I knew the labels were struggling mm-hmm. and um and I remember looking out at this just ocean of of 
network amoeba um, that is South by Southwest. Yeah, and and like knowing of all the narratives of the friends I had that had come over from the UK or from Mm. that were all here for the same reason, and it was that like the artists were were looking for like somewhere there's a manager or a publisher or whatever that's going to save save me and solve all the problems, and then the labels and the publishers are all like somewhere there's an artist who's going to save me, and you know, and the truth of the matter is is that at that time for for my job for ACL I had learned about forecasting. And, lear- and learning about money and spending millions of dollars of other people's money and learning about how it's made and like trying to predict that kind of thing. Yeah. And when I applied some of those same principles to music, it was terrifying. It didn't look bright. It that's an understatement. Yeah, it, it did not look bright. It looked dismal to say, <laughs> yeah. to say. And I realized everybody was fighting over these nominal peanuts that were yeah. going to, yeah. as the trend continued, go down and down and down. So did, did that start to transition your thinking to like, I want to do this independently and like do my own thing or like... Not as much that, as much as uh, learning about scoring films oh, okay. and learning about that. Because even in the Great yes. Depression people were going to movies it's so funny because like i do hear these rap songs that like oh i made like three dollars on streaming but then this commercial picked it up and i made twenty thousand dollars i'm like yeah uh maybe we shouldn't <laughs> you know maybe yeah. we're in the wrong game here <laughs> yeah and well and this is this is the thing is that that is where you know i, I think that one of the things generally anybody that works in in music i think needs to understand at a certain point if they're going to be successful is sustainability i.e if you don't make some form of revenue on it you just can't keep doing it right you know and not only that if you also don't make enough then you're going to have to spend that much more time doing the other something to make it and so if Mm -hmm. at a certain point you're not at least somewhat cognizant about the income component you just won't be able to keep doing it um and i think that for me that's that's how it happened and so yeah but the looking at the numbers but then also knowing about how sync sync stuff mm-hmm. worked at the mm-hmm. time, mm-hmm. but then also learning about just generally the world of film um, and how much more revenue stream there is. I decided like I need to learn about this. I'm like yeah, this is cool. oh, also the curiosity thing. Just it seemed like an interesting new thing at that time. I was really really. I feel like a lot a lot of my transitions have been when I'm really burnt out yeah, um, yeah, yeah. on one thing. And I think at that point I was really burnt out on playing shows. I was really burnt out on the whole play shows with people, go play this big venue, do all that whatever, the touring thing. Just it yeah. didn't feel fresh. It didn't feel like creating. It felt mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. it felt like replicating and pretending to be excited about the same song that I wrote three years ago and now I'm pretending to be actually emotionally yeah. connected to now. Whereas totally. film, I knew just from my friends that were directors, it's always different. They always need something different. Every single... So all of my first scores and stuff that I did, I didn't know anything. And it was so awesome to talk to these directors and they'd be like, can you blah, blah, blah. I'd be like, maybe. Let's see if we can. (laughs) Um, And what I really loved about learning about film music and then later on doing the commercials and that kind of thing is it was just... It was new. It was different. It was... I had to learn different technologies that I wasn't familiar with. I had to learn different instruments i had to learn just a different way of thinking when you introduce visual medium to audio it changes the way you think about it yeah um and not only that the other thing that i'll say about that is working with directors permanently changed the way i think about lyrics really screenplays yeah okay okay. Uh, in regards to like telling stories or like what no no not just stories it's you think about the cadence of a conversation yeah um a well-written screenplay they, you know, they're going to put subtext in 
in what's happening between the characters yeah. that doesn't have to be stated. I.e., if you're really sad because you know, your best friend died, our conversation wouldn't be, I am really sad because my best friend died. My heart hurts. Rain, it is raining. Whatever, some pick your pick your metaphor. <laughs> right, right. It would be it would be sporadic. It'd be yeah. all over the place. You know, yeah. I don't even I don't know where this came from, man. Like I, I didn't see this coming at all. Like our last conversation was this. The way human emotion works is nonlinear. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things that really turned me off to staff writing was it's all linear. You're you're coming up with a formula, everything has stuff, and you know this from a production standpoint, there's even a time parameter. Oh, you know, yeah. by before roughly a minute your chorus better be in and it better be bumping and then you know by it's getting this worse part of the bridge oh, these days, totally, bro. Like, totally. Yeah. Five seconds and now we're already at the chorus. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then you need to have the chorus like forty seven more times before the three minute and thirty second mark or, or whatever. Um, yes. but scripts and screenplays introduced me to a new way of thinking about the way words inform emotion and like there's this book that um a director buddy uh scott uh if you're out there scott thank you yeah shout out to scott uh, shout out to scott edwards uh gave me a book called story um okay. that it's it's basically it's a it's a textbook about writing screenplays cool. and this guy goes through and details the parameters for what makes a compelling story and the reason that that trumps anything else production value you know uh actors actresses ultimately if the story's not there there's only so far it can go and in a similar capacity applying a lot of those same principles to songwriting you find that the way the way we understand emotion in a more evocative sense in a less literal straightforward sense yeah it's all it's all these little layers under underneath Mm -hmm. um and some of some i feel like some of the really great songwriters uh, the people at least that i would think of as really great songwriters understand that Uh, and maybe maybe they don't know how to articulate it yeah maybe they maybe they wouldn't be calling it out but the way that they write it's all these implications it's parts of conversations that hit you so much harder Mm -hmm. because that one little sentence isn't just the face value of how sad I am, right. baby. Right. You know, it, right. it, it's something that implies yeah. 50 other plot lines with one sentence. Yeah. And I think that that's the other thing that really changed my perspective mm. of production and music about working with film is that film is just so much more potent as a medium than audio. It's just so, if again, circling back to what we said earlier, depending yeah. on why you started creating, if you started creating because you love music, that's one thing. And that's the same for a lot of us. But for a lot of us, it's about expressing an idea, making somebody feel something. Again, cave paintings. We're oh, trying yeah, to communicate yeah, yeah. something that we're feeling to yeah, another yeah. human being, yeah. either alive or dead, whatever. And if you look at music and, and creating at, at its face value, film is just so much more powerful because it's got music too. It's right. got music, it's got audio, it's yes. got sound, it's got right. foley, it's got emotion. It, it capitalizes on so many senses yep. that for me, that was another reason it was super appealing is that it was just more potent. It was more, it could move people more. It could make more impact. So take all of those pieces of your life. Where are you currently? Like, I know we just you just released an <laughs> album in 2020, Double Plus Panic. What hat are you wearing currently? Like, are you going to start putting out more music under your name, or like, are you mainly working with other people now, or like, how has it evolved to where you where you are now? I'm not totally sure. I'll answer some. I like to, <laughs> a to little bit of a bigger question. I'm not totally <laughs> sure. I feel like I'm always trying to answer that question for myself to answer oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. kind of what's current. Um, uh, I started a nonprofit with um, with a with a 
a friend in Austin um, a couple years ago that really derailed uh, my own music in, in a big way. Like it just became way more important to me. Um, sure. I don't know. At a certain level of songwriting, I love songwriting and I, I kind of never stop writing, but like it becomes so self-involved sometimes that I just lose interest uh, uh, just right, emotionally right. like who cares <laughs> yay we communicated in you emotion. just like walk what out impact? walk yeah. out of the podcast yeah I, well no I, I, this podcast. I, I think part of it man is you know this as a totally. as a producer too you work with so many art artists and while I love creating and I love music I think there's another part of it that can just become so narcissistic and so just self-obsessed that like after working with so many artists for so many years you're just like I don't know that this is contributing anything to the world. I don't know mm. that this is contributing anything to anyone else's betterment. I don't know that this is, I don't know if this is meaningful. Um, and so I think that some of that distaste working with other artists kind of fed into my own music. We're sure. like, wow, you're really self-involved, man. You should, you should, you should think about this a little bigger picture. <laughs> so anyway, it's shifted to, to this okay. nonprofit, which That's is a cool music though. associate. Yeah, okay. yeah. The nonprofit basically just, it changes. It takes, um, you from the CCLI. Yes. It takes CCLI royalties, basically people singing songs in church. church yeah. And instead of that money going to um, a person, it goes to a charity. So in this case, it goes uh, to okay. adoption. Um, okay. It goes to help people adopt. So, and as a songwriter, you can either choose to to put your songs in that cat mm -hmm. catalog, essentially? Yeah, you basically like, donate. Yeah, it's like, it's like cool. donating a copyright. Um, but the cool thing about it is that even after you're dead, it continues to donate oh, to, okay. to orphans. Yeah. Um, which for me seemed like an obvious thing to be able to use the catalyst of Western yes. church for. Um, but it's turned out to be a lot more challenging um, oh, man. than I expected. So that's, that's where a lot and of you've been working on that for about a year, two years, about seven years. Seven Josh. years. <laughs> Dang, rough. Yeah, okay. man. Uh, yeah. yeah, I really, I really believe in it, but it's been a really, um, an uphill battle. Um, the, and getting to the 501 status too, you know, yeah, this is a musician. Yeah, yeah. We know a lot about microphones and stuff. I certainly didn't know a lot about 501s yeah, yeah, <laughs> at all, you know, yeah. or so, some of the intricacies of the yeah, publishing man. world that I needed to learn about to make this this work. Um, another part of it has just been creating music for that. We've yeah, got okay. like 30 songs ready to, to uh, be released. That's a cool idea. So, like, let's make music for the church specifically that we can connect to this nonprofit and start to build that catalog out? Yeah, so basically it's kind of like an offering plate. Okay. And so because of the intricacies of the publishing side at right now, basically it's just it's just myself and a couple other people that have put it in there because it's really complicated <laughs> yeah, <laughs> to get the money to go from the publisher to like this corporation to ASCAP to BMI oh, to, to the, the charity. Yeah. Um, but what we had to do is basically start with something. And so we've got a catalog of, I guess, about 30 songs we've, we've written um, that... Are all over the place. Uh, the nonprofit is called Modern Psalm. Okay. Um, and uh, they're they're all over the place. Some of them are a little more like just art. Um, maybe wouldn't be so useful for church application. Yeah, stuff, congregational yeah. kind of thing. But then a lot of the other ones are intended to be a, a little more uh, congregational, but also in a little bit more of an unconventional sense, like congregational cool. songs about fear, or congregational songs about gratitude or forgiveness things that <laughs> yeah. should be staples and sure. pillars but we don't yeah. really sing about no, we're just yeah, too busy yeah. singing about water and reckless water and, and trees whatever. yeah yeah That's you know good. choose your metaphor um but anyway that um, don't get me started on church music bro <laughs> we could be here all day yeah yeah no there's 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 good in it too man. There there's, is good, yeah. there's good in it too i love that like shift from being self-focused to 
others focused. So much of art to like take away the idea of like this song is going to make a bunch of money. No, this song is going to hopefully provide for these orphans. That's a different... It changes the way you write. Yeah. Um, And this is the other reason. So when we first started it, it was just kind of this experiment. Um, And I I called... The cool thing about getting to R.H. Josh is a lot of our our friends get more powerful and cooler. Mm -hmm. Um, And so uh, (laughs) because I started in Nashville so young, a lot of my friends are, you know, running big companies and stuff. And so, yeah, I'd, I'd called... Called one of them. His name is Rick, and, and Rick's a dear friend and a sweetheart. Shout out to you, Rick. Um, and I told him what we're trying to do. Yeah, and, cool. You know, he was he was a very very legit guy in the world of publishing. And I told him, and he's I'll never forget this conversation. He's like, "Well, Stuke, it's like you're the first person in 20 years to call me and not and, and ask how do I not make money with my song." He's like, <laughs> "I have no idea, man." Um, and that was at that point yeah. it became obvious to me and the other guy I started this with that like our songs were one thing. But they were not nearly as important as just this offering plate exist- mm. existing. Because mm. to your point, creating from that headspace of just knowing that, hey, whatever we create is given away. You're literally donating it before you write it. Yeah, really. It changes. You don't realize how much ego works its way into the writing process mm. until you pull it away. Because you, you realize you're not, even if this is a huge hit, I still won't make money. Uh. So th- what you put into it is different. Like yeah. all you can put into it mm. is what somebody else is getting out. Of it. it like access is a different part of your heart. It's really convicting to me, to be honest with you, dude. It was, re- and that was the thing is like I wanted other people to have access yeah. to this headspace because like, yeah. I, like you know, we talked about earlier. I've been writing songs since I was like eight, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. and I had never experienced a headspace that felt quite like this. So I wanted to have an, this this headspace available yeah. for other people too. Because <laughs> that's really cool. Well, I, I think too, it, it, I don't want it to remain just in the realm of of church music conventionally oh, yeah, speaking yeah, yeah, yeah. well i mean church music but <laughs> could be i want to yeah. well it's it's something that i think we both have a lot of friends that have a distaste toward church but not necessarily toward god yeah, yeah, yeah. that's an, that's a whole another conversation sure. um sure. and i know there's a lot of people a lot of friends of mine that are brilliant musicians and songwriters and creators filmmakers artists and so on and so forth that maybe wouldn't step foot in church, certainly would never want to write music for church. But if I said, yo, I want you to just have a convert, the, the, the way we describe it is conversations with God for charity. Cause just kind of uh, capitalizing okay. on like yeah. old, old school art, right? Yeah, like yeah, if you yeah. think about like visual art, you know, yeah, you yeah. think about why people created it. There's always this dialogue with God or whatever. So, but the conversation can be about whatever they want it to be about. It can be a hard conversation too. Mm. And so one of my motives with this is that it becomes, it becomes a place <laughs> for people to have meaningful conversations and yeah. say what they're actually thinking because yeah. they're not going to make money from it. They don't have to reduce <laughs> it to a three-line hook that uses the same 100-word vocabulary that gets recycled repeatedly. Like, I don't want to yeah. reduce it to that. I don't think that it should have to be that. But I've just never heard of this idea before. I want to say good luck with all that stuff. We're going to need it. Thanks, man. Yeah, yeah. Um, I love that, though, man. It's like, like I said, like that's really convicting to me because it's like, and everybody that I work with is like, this song is going to be huge and make me a millionaire. And, you know, it's like, probably not. Yeah. But well, and to be, it's to like, be, if you take <laughs> away the, if you change the motivation, I mean, especially coming from a Christian perspective, too, yeah. is, man, what a legacy. It's like, if you're, you know, I'm just throwing out a name here, but like, if you're Chris Tomlin and all your song <laughs> royalties, which are probably a lot, go to like literally millions, orphans yep. and like, like, I mean, take care of your fam for sure. But it's like, that's cool. Like, well, yeah, man, and, and no, I, no hate on however whoever does 
it differently. But I'm just saying. Yeah, like, for, for for sure. You man. know, what I mean? that's and that's that's a really that's a really great point. It seems and, like it could end up being like this collection of guys that are just like these really unique people that like just have this heart to do that but they're also crazy talented songwriters totally you know what i mean yeah and yeah. they're just like writing and they're writing and they're seeing how many orphans can we take care of it's like it's freaking exciting man like man i, well, I appreciate you saying that i think you know so what I, mean? <laughs> I think it's cool and not only that but just technologically you know like it's uh, to me it's really cool because you know back in the day you know some of the first people in what would now be considered the Christian music genre, people mm -hmm. like Keith Green. Yeah. They gave that their, reminded me of that. Yeah, man. They gave their music away, but like, dude, <laughs> he had to print physical records. We're talking a lot of overhead to be able to do that, oh, right? Yeah. And so, you know, he had to be able to do that. And um and people like that were my heroes growing up and remain my heroes. Um, but mm -hmm. what's cool about this is it uses the infrastructure of things like PCO, things we're already doing that all this has to do with is people just making a decision to do it differently yes. um, and to tithe, to tithe their creativity. Um, gotcha. And not only that, but okay. if you tithe your creativity, it continues to go and go and go yeah. and go. It's, and so to me, the, the, cool. it's an exciting concept um, and hopefully... Hopefully it'll, hopefully it'll work. We'll see. I love because I didn't even know about that side of things. <laughs> Seven years, man. You gotta get the word out. Bro. Yeah, man. Well, it's that's what this podcast is about. There you go. Yeah, it's been complicated, but we should be we should be um, should be going live with it very soon. But okay, um, well, but to be clear, no, yes. I'm, I'm still I'm still a, a lunatic narcissist obsessed with myself and my own emotions. Like, like every musician, you're a work in progress. Yeah. That's why you that's why you have a mustache. Uh, th there you go. We haven't talked much about the songwriting process for okay. you. Let me just pull out a couple of things here uh, because. I think we were talking a little bit earlier about how like modern production is so clean and it's so it's like rigid and stuff. Yeah. And I was explaining that, you know, I was challenged recently on a podcast by this guy saying, you know, once the drums are recorded, we're not really going to listen to the click anymore. You know, we're going to turn it way down and basically like feel the music. Do you feel like that kind of enhances the song for you? Like just that more like hey let's just go by feeling and like 100 percent, yeah okay like yeah I is mean, that the way you kind of approach some of your songs that you're working on and productions that you're doing yeah i mean it depends on it depends on the artist and what their objectives are and their goals you know certainly for myself very very much um i mean i take it a step i'm all about manipulating the start point I, i'm a, i'm oh, a about that well so so much of modern music production is post Right. You literally, yeah. you know, a lot of pop music, you know, track a vocal to a click and a pad and build everything else around it. You know, you, you can do that. It's very yeah. common. Mm -hmm. I'm of the belief that manipulating that start point, uh, I mean, ideally, if you're able to even manipulate the writing part, that it'll influence it. But more than that, like I, I do use clicks, um, but I also many times will, instead of using a click, even for the drummer, I'll program, um, I'll program a drum machine and then intentionally knock it off the grid slightly oh, okay. and then do weird <laughs> stuff to it so it's got a little bit of not quite a swing but basically a human component yeah so that the drummer plays off of that instead of the click and then the same principle that you mentioned then everything else gets gridded to that but the reason i do uh, that is that drummers much like all musicians go to low-hanging fruit they go to the thing that's obvious to go to. Like, this is a click, so this needs this. This needs the whatever, the, the, oh, the kick on the two, the snare on the four. The, part of the reason I'll program a drum machine first is it manipulates where the drummer goes with it. Yeah, they don't yeah, just yeah. play like, okay, cool, we got a verse going, let's do a fill into the verse. With that, even in the background, it may even open up ideas and possibilities of things. It shapes what they do. 
It yeah. does shape. Yeah, I it's, like I like that. It I shapes think. what they do. They, they I never s- thought about it like that, but like if you have someone like telling you in your ear, like stay on beat, stay on beat, stay on beat, don't play. You know what I mean? It's like yeah. it might influence how you're playing. You know? Like, well, yeah. You know this is a as a as a basis too. Like if suddenly somebody's got a sub bass that's taking up just the normal like frequency that needs to be held out with the root note for this part of the melody without even thinking about it you're going to adjust to play something a little different in a little different spot your timing yeah. delivery yeah, yeah, so yeah, many yeah. things change instinctually and this is what i mean about manipulating the start point i try to find ways for every musician to not just tell them what to do but to kind of like manipulate the process enough where they just sort of naturally do this thing it's it's always this yeah. kind of like psychology experiment and, and this doesn't okay. work with all artists or yeah. with all musicians you That's, know i think you're right to be aware of like what artist or what type of person this strategy might really suit yeah you know yeah I mean? well so to answer the initial question just about perfection and stuff i do have kind of a, just an overall principle that i do believe now it is just so easy to make things perfect mm-hmm. that the human ear is just naturally drawn to things that are imperfect like without even knowing why people that know nothing about music nothing about production or mixing oh everything is so perfect that when something is not you're like oh you're i drawn to it. it yeah you're drawn you don't know why you don't know why, but you're just drawn to it. Yeah. Um, and there's a, this is, again, from the film thing. It started to notice people using weird shepherd tones and semitones that were a little off the normal 441 thing. Um, and you would feel it. You wouldn't know why or how, yeah, but it would yeah, just yeah. feel different. But yeah. in a similar capacity with production, everything is so... A lot of my favorite artists, we've talked about this, but mm-hmm. like our, our, you know, guys like D'Angelo, that nothing's yeah. perfect. Everything's behind. Yeah, Everything's yeah, a little yeah, bit yeah. behind. And a lot yeah. of those guys, I mean, they, they're all ultimately going from the Jay Dilla Ryan Tedder calls it the white boy shuffle. He like pushes, he like pushes things back like constantly because he's like, if it's, he actually said recently, which I thought was a good comment. He said, if things are ahead of the beat, it creates a sense of anxiety mm-hmm. and you can't, people can't articulate that but like that's what it's doing like if you're ahead of the actual beat and yeah. i i'm constantly pushing rappers back yeah because i'm like you can't be ahead you can be yeah you could be pretty much on or a little bit behind but ahead it is it's a sense of like it just feels weird hey guys my name is josh uh i'm obviously the host of this songwriter snack time podcast so thanks for listening and i hope you learn a lot about songwriting and just are encouraged I'm super excited to just be releasing a new website called joshwalkermixes.com where it's only focused on mixing and mastering music. So if you record your music somewhere and need it to be mixed so that it can be the best that it can be, check out joshwalkermixes.com, reach out to me. If you put in the discount code SNACKTIME, I'm going to give you 10% off of our first project together. So thanks again for listening and back to the podcast. Okay, let's just do this. Let's let's just go to the apples and okay. we'll just like slowly take a bite of it okay. and just enjoy the the sound of that natural. Okay. Here okay, we go. you ready? Yeah, let's do it. Well, I'm gonna add some of this sounds to that. I bet your mustache <laughs> is contributing to the sound. It can be. <laughs> I wonder what that felt like for people. We'll see. <laughs> you mentioned to me a while back that like you're like, man, I just stayed up pretty late and wrote and just write and stuff. Like, how often are you writing ideas and stuff? Like, is it regular for you? Like, or is it just coming inspiration and spurts and stuff? Man, it never really stops. Um, like I um again, my, my relationship with music is weird in that I feel like the longer the longer I'm involved in music, the 
instead of it becoming more more clearly defined, mm-hmm. um, it gets more and more confusing and more and more mysterious. Uh. So yeah, I, I, I mean, probably pretty much every day. Uh, like I, um, does that involve I, you picking up the instrument, or sometimes did you just write lyrics? No, no. It, so it used to. It used to um, involve. I mean, it still sometimes does. If I have the luxury of you know sitting down with mm-hmm. instruments, you know, be it synths or keys or guitar or whatever. Yeah. But um, now, no, it's. It's weird, man. It's um, it's almost just kind of out of the ether. I, I've just constantly voice memoing and got the little uh, screen time update oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. for the for the first time a couple of weeks ago. I didn't know that was a thing that it was tracking me, and so I was just curious. I'm like, where do I spend my time? Mm-hmm. And I, apparently, I spend like on the voice memo. <laughs> that yeah, a lot of a lot of time in voice memos, but between the hours of like one a.m. and four a.m., I spend an average of like. 70 minutes in google docs every day mm. which is just hilarious just because I, I i'm i'm very bad at sleeping yeah. um and so i'll in the same way that um you know if a dog has zoomies or whatever people call it or a toddler mm-hmm. just needs to like burn off that energy it, right, it's right. almost like there's a a brain version of that for me that i just have to empty it or i just can't sleep um uh-huh. and if i don't empty it then i'll just get up in the middle of the night and just sometimes I don't even know what it's for, man. Yeah, um, that's interesting. Sometimes it's lyrics. Sometimes it's concepts, and and then concepts makes it sound like. And then there will be like a fog, and you know, like describing like some concept record, not like that. Oh, just yeah. principles, things, yeah, yeah, yeah. things that would be fascinating to to write about or try to embody musically. But um, yeah, but the writing thing never really stops. The other thing that's weird is it's just it's become very. Very segmented. Very rarely do I write a whole song. It's parts and parts and parts. Very, yeah, very rarely. I used was to, a lot of the Double Plus Panic album like combinations of different parts and stuff. Well, so that's that's interesting because to me, that twenty minute thing felt like a song. Um, oh, okay. And and it, and it's you have to tell me about the weird voices. Okay, <laughs> gladly, gladly. Yeah. Um, as a songwriter and as a producer, I think you start to get just bored with sort of some of the ways things go. Like we're talking sure, about, yeah. you know, the, the song needs to start this way and then it needs to do this by this point. And I think that, um, I think that there's a part of my brain that has, has, has become a little defiant to, to some of that stuff where mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. in my own music, and I say this specifically about my own music because I have no intentions of my own music ever making money. Um, <laughs> and so it's a safe place to kind of do, sure. you know, whatever. And, you know, for a client, I'm going to really try to be cognizant of its reception as a producer. That's part of our right, job, right? right? right, right. Um, and to think about its context and playlists and whatnot. But for my own stuff, just, uh, none of those rules just apply. Pure, love, <laughs> pure passion. Yeah, basically. yeah. And so what was fun about the Double Plus stuff is, you know, many times if I'm embarking on a concept for a song, I feel like, I'm not really able to go into depth within that three minutes as deep as I want to or as comprehensively as I want to. Inversely, on an album, many times I, f- I feel you jump around conceptually mm-hmm. a-, a little more than I'd like to just mm-hmm. because it's the nature of what people expect from an album. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They expect it to kind of bounce around. And what was fun about that, though, is it was, I think, indicative of the way that my brain actually works, which is 
snippets, little yeah. little chunks connected Hearing to other chunks. And deep yeah. tones. <laughs> yes, exactly. And weird synthesizers. Sub frequencies. Yeah. Yeah, man. I thought um, it was super cool, man. Oh, uh, thanks, man. I never thanks. told you about that, but I, I did I did really enjoy it. Oh, thank you, brother. I yeah, really appreciate that. Cool. I appreciate that. It was fun to make. It was it was a Can you explain what the uh what the face thing was about with the artwork? Yeah. Um that, that was a specific I'm sure it was a specific choice. I saw on your Instagram you have like a bunch of different versions of that or growing up, I uh had always heard about this one like great grandfather, great uncle, something that nobody knew what his relationship to the family was, but his name was Fritz Stukenberg. Okay. Um, he has been dead for a long time. Pretty interesting way to start a narrative about a person. Sure. Um, shout out to Fritz. Yeah. Shout out to Fritz. Um, like I said, whenever my family a couple of generations ago moved to the States, uh, people change spellings of names and stuff, but they all kind of came from the same part. I keep putting a C in your name every time I spell it. I'm like, Fritz, Fritz, a... Fritz has a C in his. Okay. Yeah. Um, so and I'm technically not wrong. Right. Yeah. And, and some, some other, some other Stukenbergs out there that'll hit me up on social media from, you know, Germany or Indiana yeah, also yeah, yeah. will have a C and they'll be like, I think we're related, you know, cause nobody really, I mean, anytime people moved into the U S oh, like yeah, yeah. it was such a weird thing of people just changing stuff and yeah well this is my name now you know and, um but anyway uh so i don't know my relation to this guy but anyway he was a degenerate artist i don't i don't know if you know okay. i didn't i didn't certainly know what that was but basically there were a few artists uh in that era in germany that uh hitler declared anti-nazi i.e their their oh. art their art was something that was going to compel the masses to maybe not follow him so like a good degenerative he called it Artists. degenerate art. Yeah. So yeah. it actually has in, in the art world kind of a place of honor because there's yeah, only, yeah, yeah. only a couple of them. Oh. Um, and all of them were sought out by Hitler and their works were just scorched. Like everything was Crazy. destroyed. And yeah. so uh, you can find a couple pieces of his art. Um, yeah. But I remember it was always really inspiring to me that this, you know, great relative of mine, you know, censorship it wasn't it was beyond just censorship i feel like censorship is oh yeah has become a trite self-important thing in the west that that people like to drop for fun but anyway i really i really wanted to do something that um that felt a little more like that um and i know that's a very loose connection i um, yeah no i know what you're talking about basically not music art yeah i wanted, wanted to try to make art um and uh being married to a painter and stuff a oh, lot of those yeah, yeah a, lot, a lot of those conversations um it's That's it's cool. funny she she knows you know not, not really anything about music i don't really know anything about art but we have these lengthy deep conversations about the process and like all the kind of components there are the That's same cool. um even though sometimes the words you use to describe them are different mm -hmm. but that's where it started is wanting to approach something a little more like that a, yeah. a little a little more visceral a little less song song but yeah and so those songs have been i didn't i didn't know and this is again another funny thing about the writing process for, for me anyway but i didn't a lot of those songs were written like six or seven years ago really? um yeah it was just funny because it pretty timely in a lot well, of ways that was the weird thing about it man yeah, and that's yeah. the reason i decided to like finish up this weird side project this yeah. year is that yeah one of the first the one of the lyrics for uh the song keep us close the um the opening for it um was um if they rig the next election invent a new disease um and only vaccinate the ones who don't oppose i wrote that in 2015 
And it was it was really funny, man, because I like found yeah. the Google Doc because a friend that knew about the song, he's like, "Yo, did, when did you write this? This was like years ago, right?" And I'm like, "Oh yeah, ha ha ha." And I went back and looked it up in Google Docs and like found exactly when it was. And I was outside of a it was like a Trump rally. Um, I was working for um, the Pavilion, like that mm. area, whatever. There was a Trump rally, and then outside the Trump rally, there was like a riot, and or not a riot, like a it was actually kind of adorable. There were these like two groups of people that were protesting each other. Um, and, uh, one was for him, one was against him. They're all yelling. And so I started recording the audio. Um, uh. and so I made it a thing. I started like rec- going, seeking out these different protests and riots and recording yeah. stuff, not knowing what I was going to use any of the audio for. But at one of these, I was sitting there and I was just like, I was with, with my buddy, Brian. Um, what's up, Brian, if you're out there. Um, and I was looking around at like everybody yelling at each other. I'm like, man, if I was going to try to like control all these people, what would I do? Like if I were the evil Bond villain and, and I had, I had the acumen, you know, and the finances to make it happen, what would I do? And I turned to him and was like, I would make a virus. It may or may not be real. I'm like, but this way it can be an invisible. Cause if you look at like the way communism moves yeah, yeah, or really yeah. any big oh, movement, yeah, yeah, it fear. has to have an invisible evil right. that can be asked anybody that doesn't agree with you suddenly they're the evil right um and so i'm like man i would do that and then i would you know make this virus super ambiguous and scary so like everybody's scared of each other this way they can't unify because they're scared to be around each other Mm -hmm. and like i explained to him all of these ways to like engineer this evil plague you know (laughs) to to scare people and then yeah then 2020 happened and i forgot all about it and then yeah i got a call from my buddy asking me about the song and like if i knew something then <laughs> i'm like no dude um and so then i re-examined a bunch of those songs from that same era and they all had other similar undertones um and so yeah so then it then it became a, a task of of trying to create something that felt more like war of the worlds like the orson welles yeah, yeah, version yeah, 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 like that yeah. was the other inspiration oh, for it okay, like okay. i really at a young age heard that i'm like man that's what a cool way to i mean not make people kill themselves obviously but wield yes. something right. more than just melody and rhythm yeah. and find a way to well, mess with that. You kind of put out this project as a passion project of your own stuff and mm-hmm. you know, hopefully you do more of that for sure. But then it, it has a cool effect because it, you're putting so much love and attention into it, mm-hmm. thinking about like, what does it even look like conceptually and artwork and all this kind of stuff and media. It just was really cool how all that came together. But then that's going to really, I think, like help with the people that you're working with to the other songwriters and oh, yeah. that yeah, you totally. you know that you may produce or whatever it may be like they can kind of and I've noticed that that is kind of a I think it's been like this for a while but like common practice is like producers are putting out their own songs yeah. you know and then being like and not really following a lot of the rules and just doing their own thing mm-hmm. and just being like this is just my creative thing outlet yeah. yeah totally and then it becomes this like it can, it can kind of become like this little following of people that really enjoyed this certain producer's, you know, own work and stuff like that. Well, yeah. It gives I don't you- know. Like if you're, I mentioned this, I didn't think you were very familiar with the Jack Antonoff, or I think is his last name, but he, he produced a lot of like Taylor Swift stuff and pop stuff like that. But his own music is like so different and hmm. like creative and just interesting and just like, it's just a really kind of underground thing, but he's really popular. You know what nice. I mean? And so it's, he out. has these crossovers, you know? And it's, I just think it's a really cool thing to do, you know, with your own music and just... Yeah, well, it's, you know? I mean, you know this as a producer. I mean, I'll have to check out his stuff, first yeah. of all. Um, uh, I think you... 
you you abide by the rules of what the artist is wanting to hear. And so I think sometimes, uh, you know, the same artist that you work with on a record will hear those records and be yeah. like, dude, you can do this? Right. I had no idea you even did this right. kind of thing. And I think right. for a lot of people we work with, they don't really know. Mm-hmm. If we were truly given full freedom and they didn't bring us 50 references, oh. what would we do? <laughs> you know, and if they were... I, I can't go down the reference and travel hole with you because that, that would be like a whole podcast. In itself, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it's just modern I know music, exactly right? what you mean. Yeah, well, and I think one of the other things too is that um, there's a, an element of, of, of courage that I think lacks from a lot of music. People are insecure and they, they really want to make yeah. something that's going to be popular. And right. I think that as a producer, it's a challenging balance to, you know, try to help them with with that journey. But also, historically, the people that are successful are never the ones that are, are trying to acclimate. Right. They're the ones that are are all but deaf to what's going on in the world around them yeah. and create from that. And, you know, I mean, I, I don't know if you've heard this, but I've heard this. But, like, so many people say, like, I didn't think that song would be popular. But it's like mm-hmm. there's people love like that song more than any others yeah. and the th- the songs that they think are going to be hits or whatever like no one really cares about yeah. so it's like it can be flipped you know sometimes like 100% that, 100% all yeah. right i got a segment called 10 things okay let's do it okay um just off the cuff favorite concert you ever been to oh that's a hard one uh can i do you can make a couple like the other toss up the, yeah, the, sure. the two there's two that come to mind uh one was uh a band called Dead Sarah, um, rock band, okay. um, really fantastic rock band, um, in a little club, Antones in Austin, with another band called uh, The New Regime. If you know who Alon Rubin is, it's his mm-hmm. band. Um, okay. Yeah, it's that good was, stuff. I need yeah. to check these people out. Yeah, man. Yeah, it was. It was just probably one of the best rock shows I've ever been to, which is just not something I get to do very much anymore. Yeah. Um, sure. Another one was uh, Chris Thiele. If you know who that is, mm-hmm. he's. Uh, Chris Thiele was the uh, mandolin player for, um, uh, well, more than just mandolin player, songwriter, singer for Nickel Creek. Okay, yeah. Uh, oh, but then dude. also for Punch Brothers. And yeah, Nickel Creek is crazy. Yeah, he's a, he's a brilliant, brilliant dude. Um, like a virtuoso type. He's a, he's yeah. a virtuoso in so many different yeah, ways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, when I lived in, in Nashville, I happened to be in a coffee shop where he called Bongo Java. I don't even think it exists oh. anymore. And he walks in and randomly was doing a show in the attic of the coffee shop for his parents and anybody else that happened to be in the coffee shop that wanted to come up no pa nothing like 15 people in this attic and it was like a almost a four-hour show man and and it was that's insane it was one of those music experiences like he started with like a 10-minute bach piece and then went into like the side or the B side of the White Album, all in the mandolin, playing all the parts, Whoa. and then went into Kid A, Radiohead, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, and by like an hour and a half into it, like not a you couldn't hear you could hear a pin drop in this room, like and as a musician you're standing there oh, like man. this is simultaneously the most inspiring and depressing thing I've ever seen in my entire life. Oh like, yeah, combination like, of yeah, both. it's just like. Well, I, I mean, this is amazing. I want to get so much better. Also, I've wasted my whole life, and I should just quit while I'm ahead. Um, but yeah, it was that was okay. This is gonna get right more. There. This is getting it, a concert. This is getting more granular. Okay? okay. Favorite artist you are currently listening to? Like you can't stop currently listening to Blake Mills. Okay. Blake Blake Mills. Anything he touches, Gu- guitarist, producer, um, 
just general musical genius um, yeah. that if you haven't heard of as a musician, you should go study everything this guy touches. But uh, yeah, Dang that you, uh, you're giving me so much to do where I like spend hours just listening. Dude, to Dude, well, not only that, he it just would be beneficial. He just did a record with Pino Paladino. I'm oh, sure you guys are bassist. You know oh, who that yeah. is. Um, just know. any musician alive sure should just right study that record, but particularly as a bassist, it's just so Dude, artful. Pino man. stuff is. Yeah. And with a name like that, Pino? Yeah. Totally. Totally. Josh Walker. <laughs> what a lame name. Dude, the thing I love about Pino though is he he is like uh, he is like the quintessential swagger bassist. He's amazing. Adds so so much so much swagger to everything and he is the nerdiest looking white For dude sure. you've ever seen For ever. Sure. But he is so amazing. Like Yeah. Yeah, anyway. Album that everyone needs to listen to. Pino Paladino. Okay. Yeah, that, that's yeah. I mean, well, there's a bunch of them that everyone should listen to. Okay, this to. is the last. This is the last music. My oh, last song. I'm sorry, is, that album's called Notes with Attachments. Okay, that everybody should listen to. Okay, last song that made you think, "Wow, that's really good." A song called Robin Williams by a guy named Noah Gunderson. Bro, do you know the song I'm talking about? I just went down this like three month rabbit trail with him where i just listened to his lover album like over and over again that well that, the record's amazing and he that, has an acoustic version that's mm -hmm. so sick too yeah man yeah i i've probably been on a similar rabbit yeah. trail but dude that song uh initiated said rabbit trail in a potent potent way um let's yeah. just call out that we, we want noah to come on the podcast at some point yeah noah come on the podcast come on, shout out yeah, okay yeah what a, what a fantastic songwriter guitar of choice well, that's a hard. I guess you could take application. Um, it could be acoustic or electric, but I guess you're. Are you? Would you say you're more electric man than acoustic um, man? Yeah. Um. I mean, I don't know. I do. I do a lot. I do a lot of both. Yeah. Um. I don't. I don't really. Like I was saying before, I don't really consider myself a guitarist. I mean, because you I, said that uh, the Clifford, Clifford, Captain what? Cliff, Captain Cliff, Clifford. Uh, that's like the big red dog. Yeah. He. Uh. He was the one that you, or maybe. Yeah, he was the one that you used most on Double Plus Panic, you said? That one, and then another one I, I built. Um, I, I build cool, guitars, um, and cool. so, well, not not like a lot of them, but when it comes to guitars especially, I'm, I'm painfully sentimental, and so I'll put a whole bunch of time and money into guitars that aren't worth a dime because they're meaningful to, to me because someone gave them to me or, yeah, or yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah. And so probably, you know, if the house is burning down and you got to go in and get it, it would be those you know that's probably um, a better way to frame the question if your house is burning down which ones you're gonna grab you had to go get your yeah. one guitar yeah okay. man uh, yeah I, I don't know um I, i'd say the, the two right now that i'm the most smitten with would be um uh got a 1966 uh a gibson lg1 if you know what that is it's like a small body little kind of like finger picking acoustic like okay. the old folk guitar that one's really cool it's kind of got kind of got an interesting mojo to it mm -hmm. And then um, the other one, actually, uh, my my dad just just sent me. Um, thank you, Dad. This is amazing. Yeah. He's, he he bought this old arch top from like Goodwill called Holiday. Okay. Um, who apparently was made by Harmony only for like two years in Chicago or something like that. Not very many of them made. Mm -hmm. But he it was all broken up and busted up, um, and he totally rebuilt it from the, the ground up and. It's beautiful. It's, Did you know yeah. he was working on it? Was that a surprise? I had no idea, man. Wow. I had no idea. That's super cool. Yeah. It's also funny to me that uh, separate of one another, my dad and I have both become super into like 
rebuilding old guitar. It's like a, just a thing. Yeah. When, yeah and then awesome. and it's just a fun, like Zen thing to yeah. like save and resurrect old guitars. I love but, that. Um, but yeah, that, that's probably, that's probably the, if the house were, we're going down, that, those would be the ones probably. Definitely. Yeah. Favorite thing to do when you're not working. This is, probably a boring answer but no, just hang, hang, hang with my family my yeah play with the kids yeah man hang hang with my wife and my little dudes yeah um yeah i don't i'm usually working <laughs> so if there's any time left to give like that's that's where it's gonna totally. go yeah drink of choice am or pm <laughs> well are you a coffee guy i'm a coffee guy yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. okay yeah um yeah cof- coffee okay. morning um pm pm um 1 a.m <laughs> probably bourbon yeah, bur- bourbon or or wine. Yeah. Not, not a big, I mean, I'll have beer every once in a while. I'm not a big beer guy. Spotify or Apple Music? Spotify. Okay. Well, I mean, they're both evil dark lords that I recently destroy got into, recorded music, but. I canceled it because I was like trying to keep my expenses low, but like Tidal mm-hmm. with the hi-fi and like, mm-hmm. I was like, that's really interesting. Was it noticeable? Okay. This is my, one of my future questions, which I'll just ask you now is, okay. to your ear, is a wave file different than an MP3? On some speakers, most not. Yeah, thank you. Uh, dude, thank you. I yeah. feel like Latency. it's like hard for me to confess as yeah. like someone that cares about music fidelity. Yeah, is that the right word? Fidelity. Yeah, yeah fidelity. Yeah, uh, that like I can't really hear. And I've been sending clients like I have a link that says wave file here, but then right. I also attach the MP3. Mm-hmm. Everybody says they can't tell the difference, and I'm like, you know what? I don't think I can either. And I just. Yeah. I feel like I'm going to get shamed by everybody nah. in the music community, but it's like... Emperor's New Clothes, man. I feel like a lot of people that say they can are lying. Um, okay. Some speakers, some rooms you can tell. Where you really can tell is uh, latency. Like if you're if you're doing the whole remote tracking thing. Oh, yeah. Okay. That's the one place. But it's not so much a sonic audible thing as much as a millisecond thing. Okay. Yeah. What uh, distribution channel do you use for your music? Uh, for mine or for clients or uh, I guess either, but yeah, usually CD Baby, CD Baby, yeah, yeah. I've they... enjoyed their podcast. They have a good podcast. Do they have a podcast? Yeah, I didn't know that. Lots of cool stuff on there. Cool song that you've put out. Now it doesn't have to be your song, but maybe you're on it or involved. But what's a song that you're most proud of? You're like, man, I really love that song. Stuff that's co- that, that's out now or that's coming out, or maybe it's coming out. If you want to shout out something that's well, man, I, I think like a lot of people that do what we do, like you're most excited about the, the recent thing, the thing that you're into right now, you know. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think there's um, you're like this voice memo that I had last night at three a.m. <laughs> yeah, no, like, no, not, not that thing. recent, not that recent. Um, there's a couple, um, there's a couple tracks from that nonprofit that called Modern Psalm or whatever. That some of those that are coming out, I'm really excited about just because they're uh, a lot of orchestral stuff. That I, don't, cool. I don't usually get to do big string sections and that kind of thing, and um, so I'm excited for some of that stuff. I don't okay. I don't get to I don't get to dabble in the classical world as much. So I, yeah. I get excited about stuff that's different. Um, uh, what's your orchestra plugin of choice for virtual? Yeah, virtual. It depends. Depends what I'm doing. Um, right now, I've been using a lot of output stuff. Output's um, so good, man. It is, man. It's it's just for um, like starting points and stuff. Oh and yeah, the creative things yeah. that you wouldn't even think about. Well, and it's but. funny you say starting points because they can be a bit heavy handed if you're just trying to like layer something in totally. later. Um, yeah. But definitely some inspiring sounds yeah. and, you know, uh, an interface that's playable. Feels more like an instrument, you know, less like a plug-in. You're talking about arcade? Are you an arcade uh, no, fan? no, I've not really dabbled not with arcade. arcade. Okay. Yeah, I um, I just have all the engines or whatever. Yeah, I've heard okay. great things about arcade. Yeah, but, cool. um, but yeah, you just need to have a super robust CPU to keep up oh, with man, it. Oh, man, totally, <laughs> totally. But, uh, but yeah, a lot of output. Um, use Vienna strings some. 
Um, but honestly, a lot of the stuff I use, um, I do, I'll do different Mellotrons through outboard gear. Um, cool. I yeah, prefer, yeah. prefer you to have, do that. You're keyboard heavy. You have a lot of keyboards at the house, right? I, I do. Yeah. yeah. I, um, analog stuff, analog you know, stuff, I'll yeah. keep virtual controllers and stuff at, at different studios and or yeah. red tree and whatnot. Yeah. Um, but I, just cause analog stuff is just so much more finicky. Like I've got, yeah, 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 yeah. some, some older, older synths and stuff that, um, uh, the reason I keep it at home too is just it takes so much time to dial it. You know, when you're at a, when you're in a day rate thing when everybody's just oh, trying to clock yeah, in the song, yeah, that is yeah. not the time. At least for me, yeah, for yeah, analog yeah, synths, yeah. some guys are super fast, yeah. but part of the fun of analog synths is you're dialing in something intangible, a texture. Yes. Um, so yeah, ideally, like that's kind of where I like to to start. Um, that's cool. But then I also like to layer like I don't I don't like to have exclusively virtual strings pretty much ever. I'll try to get something real on top of yeah, that. If, yeah, if I can't get... I've heard a lot of people talk about, like, put a real violin over this bed of stuff. Yeah, and then yeah. It's like, get real like, real yeah. violins, or if you can't get that, get something else weird that's different, that's not virtual, just because, yeah, yeah, for our other point about people listening, I feel like people can feel it. It just feels yeah, yeah, different, yeah, yeah, yeah. feels fake. Yeah, okay, but last then, question. Yeah. Um, how many voice memos are in your phone? I don't know if it tells you the number, but... 1,398. Oh. Yeah. I didn't know that either. Yeah. We're going to transition into you performing a song for us, which I'm super excited about. What song did you decide to play? Man, I think I'm going to play a song called uh, called Fortress. Okay. What's the heartbeat behind that song? Well, man, it's a, it's an older song. It's from from the, the Mill Sounds EP, the thing with the okay. barn. Yeah. Um, I haven't played in a long time, so it might be atrocious, but... Um, Come on! I wrote it for a. This is this is a different style of writing. I, I wrote it for some some friends, um, uh, some sisters, uh, Jenny, Sarah, and Leslie, um, who were were friends that were super encouraging uh, to to me with with a bunch of just different musical stuff, and we would talk after a lot of shows and hang out. And um, one night we had a conversation about. Uh, the way that <clears throat> I think at this point Leslie had recently had kids and we're talking about how you build these defense mechanisms when you're young if you have a rough upbringing which I, I did and, and they did and uh, <clears throat> and you build these defense mechanisms to kind of protect you from, from a lot of circumstance mm -hmm. but then later in life um, when you have things that you want to feel um, good things, um, relationship things. Uh, at that point, I was still still not married, and I think that it applies it applied to her about being able to feel kids and like all of the weird, mm. potent beauty that that comes with. Mm. But then also just general like affection and trust and and love and how when you build those walls, it kind of becomes this ubiquitous thing that is indiscriminate in what it blocks out, blocks out everything. Hmm. Um, and it really stuck with me. And just that concept of the downside of defense mechanisms. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, there's, it's a song for, for them. Cool, man. Well, I'm excited to get into that. And dude, thanks again for coming by, being a part of the podcast. Oh, and dude, thanks, for, thanks for having me, man. Dude, I, I love getting to hang. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I think the conclusion is now that I need to grow my mustache out. <laughs> I got to get rid of mine, man. It's creeping me out. Um, 
Well, you, can, you can have it if you want it. Oh, you yeah, can yeah. take it off and yeah. just apply yeah. it right here. Yeah, it's fake. It's just a clip on. All right, bro. Yeah. I appreciate you, man. Of course, brother. Thank you. I built a fortress. Constructed walls to keep out evil forces. If everything else fails, my last resort is to become that place to hide. I trained an army To protect me from the dangers all around me To keep me safe, to constantly surround me Not let them harm me ever again Oh, but now that is Completed my mighty walls will not within what I created for protection won't let me out and it won't let the good things in I love her dearly. But the soldiers at the gate no longer hear me And though I beg them to receive her oh sincerely I know they will not let her in Because I gave them orders Long before I knew outside this fortress There is beauty only weakness exposes You couldn't force it if you tried Oh, but now that it's completed my mighty walls will not within What I created for protection Won't let me out And it won't let the good things in Castle is a cage. My castle is a cage. My castle is a cage. My castle is a cage. Bueno? Beautiful. Dude, so good. I love it. Yeah.